Hello and welcome to The Shanty Show, the show about shanties. Today we are very fortunate to be joined in our final episode of season one by Martin Hugel, one of the sons of the legendary Stan Hugel. Uh, so before we dive into the episode, just a couple quick housekeeping notes. Uh, as James mentioned, this is the end of season one. If you've been watching this on our YouTube channel, thank you. Uh, and make sure that you subscribe to the audio version because from here on out, uh, we're going to be doing mostly audio episodes with the occasional video special. That said, if you are listening to this particular episode right now, I would strongly encourage you to pop on over to YouTube as well. Martin's been very generous with sharing some of the documents, pictures, and artifacts uh, that he's collected over the years from his dad. Uh, and we have the uh, spliced those uh, into the, the video version of this show, and it's, uh, it's really worth your time. Uh, but without that, or with that said, I guess, without that, with it, with it. With it. So with it. <laughs> with with all of that. <laughs> Including all of the above. Off Therefore. we go. To me As I was a rolling down Paradise Street. Way, hey, blow the man down. A big Irish stopper I chanced for to meet. Give me some time to blow the man down. He sells you a black ball by the cut of your hair. Way, hey, blow the man down. He sells you a black ball by the clothes that you wear. Give me some time to blow the man down. You've sailed in some packet. That flies the black ball. Way, hey, blow the man down. You've robbed some poor Dutchman of boots, clothes, and all. Give me some time to blow the man down. Oh, policeman, oh, policeman, you do me great wrong. Way, hey, blow the man down. I'm a flying fish sailor just home from Hong Kong. Give me some time to blow the man down. Well, I stove in his face and I smashed in his jaw. Way, hey, blow the man down. He, young fella, you're breaking the law. Give me some time to blow the man down. Well, they gave me six months in old Walton Town. Way, hey, blow the man down. For a booting and a kicking and a blowing him down. Give me some time to blow the man down. Well, we're Liverpool born, we're Liverpool bred. Way, hey, blow the man down. Strong in the arm, boys, and thick in the head. Give me some time to blow the man down. Oh, we're a Liverpool ship with a Liverpool crew. Way, hey, blow the man down. A Liverpool mate and a scout skipper too. Give me some time to blow the man down. Well, it's blow the man up, please blow the man down. Way, hey, blow the man down. Blow him right back into Liverpool town. Give me some time to blow the man down. Fantastic. <laughs> well, that's a great Liverpool shanty to start us off. Yeah, it was one. It was one of Dad's. Like he would always. Yeah, I think he used to start things, start his concerts off with that particular one. Uh, yeah, 
And and I think you'll find the lyrics in Chances from the Seven Seas are, are actually quite, I'm not even sure whether those lyrics are actually in Chances from the Seven Seas. Um, I think they're the ones that he used to sing sort of latterly that I can really remember. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's 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 one of the, the themes we've sort of run into in a few of our conversations. How the, the lyrics could change from uh, from one performance to another with, with most yeah, yeah. most shanty groups. So I think that's that's within the tradition too. Uh, absolutely, and you know when when you think the whole you know when they were working on ships, you know a good shanty man would just make up lyrics. There's no use when you started on the rope pulling to say halfway through it, please sir, I don't know any more verses. You had to carry on with the job, and then you'd improvise something like. Uh, a calypso singer. The first few verses were all traditional. And when you got through them, you could do what you like. You had to be careful, though. You could sing about the crew, your shipmates. If you were a good poet, make them up as you went along, about the bad grub, and perhaps even get as far as talking about the captain was no good. But the best thing about this, because there was an unwritten law where you could sing about all the decisive issues of the ship, but you could not say these things point blank without music otherwise you might be traced up to the yard arm and that that, that must have been quite a skill that's certainly not a skill that i've <laughs> ever achieved but um yeah uh so, so i suppose that they, they would have changed you know sort of all the time really and i suppose the tunes would change as well you know slight variations came in i think i've, I've got to say i think there's probably been a lot more variations in tunes of shanties and, and lyrics um, more recently um, and w whether those have come from other sources or whether they've just been you know changed by the performers at that particular time I, I, I don't really know um, songs like John Cherokee come into mind um, sung in a way now if you hear people singing John Cherokee um, it will not be the way that I ever remember Stan singing it, or the way it's actually written in the book. Um, so, but then again, I, I, I think perhaps that you know Stan, I think would you know, you'd have to say was was no musician. He was a singer, but he wasn't a musician. He didn't, you know he did he couldn't he couldn't write music. Um, I don't think he really understood the intricacies of music. It would be fair to say, but he had a brother um, called Harold, and. We, we knew Harold briefly. He died in 1965, I think. Um, and um, he, he was a great musician. So he played the piano, he played the violin, he played the mandolin. And, and it was him who, who sort of transcribed from, I think Stan even says, from his wild singing. He had to put and make sense musically. Um, which he did on, if I might take this, on this particular mandolin. Oh, no um, and uh, this was the very mandolin that, that was left to me by Harold. And he, um, yeah, that was the one that did all the uh, the transcribing of the, of the tunes from his very wild singing. Yes, I was noticing yesterday, uh, flipping through the preface and the intro to the book and a few of the pages too, that uh, Stan had his own notif uh, what do you call it? notation for uh, with the squiggly line over where the, the, the hollow. Yeah. Yes. The, the hitches, right? The yeah. hitches. That's right. Yeah. 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 He he certainly did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I find yeah. that fascinating that he he really made a point to include the the hitches where those would have been because that, yeah. that that's something that's it's impossible to notate on paper. And I'm sure you've probably heard. 
things on YouTube, um, which on the live performances where he probably did it more than he would have done right. um, on the recordings, I would imagine. Oh, South Australia beneath his home. Heave away, all away. Somewhere I never more shall roam. We're bound for South Australia. All away, rolling king. Heave away, all away. All away, oh, hear me sing. We're bound for South Australia. I mean, I, I, I have watched an awful lot of, of stuff of his on, on YouTube, but um, um, I certainly have, you know, the original record shanties from the 70s. Um, I don't know whether you've actually come across that the record. I didn't know that it existed, to be honest. Oh, right, yeah. I think he, he, I think they came out. Uh, I think did the um, the book came out in sixty one. I think the record came out in sixty two. So he used a lot of the old worthies from, um, you know, the folk scene, you know, the burgeoning folk scene at the time, um, uh, to actually help him in the choruses. Okay. And, and, and w w one of the guys, I think he, he played in a in the. I think they were called the Celebrated Working Man's Band, and they were almost like a house band of a lot of the albums that came out in the early sixties of Ewan McCall and A. L. Lloyd and people like that. And I think Alf Edwards actually played the melodeon, although he was actually a concertina, concertina player, um, on some of the songs that needed, you know, that sort of accompaniment. Um, okay. Because Dad did actually play. Uh, the melodian himself but i don't think i think i'd be right in saying i don't think I, he ever played the melodian to a live audience okay. you know we, we we heard him playing at home and um there are several real to real tapes that we still have and i hope it's still in good condition um that we that um you know he he actually sang into this old you know real to real thing and um and he played the accordion then, but otherwise, I, I I'm I'm not aware that he ever did publicly. But, okay. Uh, mm. Well, I, I know for a fact I would love to hear some of those recordings <laughs> if they do get digitized. Well, well I'm actually I'm just actually looking across now to the melodeon that, that, that he actually used to play. Yeah, I mean he used to play. You know, he was not a great expert on it, but he could play it well enough to um, accompany himself on songs. You know. In private, let's put it like that. Yeah. And your grandfather played the melodeon and sang songs of the sea as well, right? And and my great grandfather, because great grandfather and my grandfather, as well as as well as sharing names, they were both called um, Henry James Hugel, as was the you know, as was the fashion of the day, and um, they both um, had very similar careers. They both followed similar careers in that um, uh, my great-grandfather was a, um, uh, what was he? He was a petty officer in the Royal Navy. At a very interesting time when um, sail was giving way to steam. And it would have been about the time of the American Civil War, the 1860s and then getting you know, into the, the 1870s. And um, uh, he did a couple of lovely wool um, pictures like sailors would do at that time, of um, of two ships that he was on, the Leander and the Doris, um, both of which are still in my mum's house down in um, in Abu Dhabi, and um, 
yeah, luckily there are two of them. So there's me and my brother, so we shouldn't have too many problems uh, when it comes to sort of <laughs> splitting things up. Um, but uh, yes, and um, yeah, they, and they, so they both you know, had these similar careers in in the um, in the Royal Navy. I don't think my grandfather uh, was a non-commissioned officer. I think he, he, he I think he was like a, a yeoman of singles, something like that. And um, but he served in the um, in the training brigs. That uh, there, there were these um, training brigs that the Royal Navy operated right up until the well, nearly until the First World War, I think. Um, and yeah, he served on those. So they'd all had same experience. Um, and of course, then Stan decided, <laughs> you know, he decided to take the other course and, you know, join the, you know, the devil's work, the, the merchant service. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So Stan, if I'm, if I'm, uh, correct in thinking that Stan was born in, uh, as a Coast Guard cottage, I think, right? In Hoyley? Yeah, he was quite interestingly. I, uh, I was up there, um, not so long ago, uh, walking the sort of coastal path around the Wirral Peninsula. And, um, and we were looking to see where that, those cottages might have been. And I've later now discovered that they were actually bulldozed and there's like a hotel <laughs> in the place where they used to be, um, which was a bit disappointing. But um, yeah, uh, he, he, he was born on a very, apparently it was a really stormy night. There was, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what type of ship it was, but this ship had gone ashore on the revetment off Hoy Lake. And um, his his father, um, who was then serving in the Coast Guards, um, uh, he, he he took the crew out to, to to rescue the people from from the ship. So he wasn't around at the you know at the time of Stan's birth. He was doing very important things, saving lives, I suppose. And um, yeah, so that's that, that that's yes, born on the um, what was it, the nineteenth of November, nineteen oh six. Kind of a kind of a legendary story, even that that and like the just the story of birth right there. <laughs> yes. And now he, he ran off to sea when he was about 14 years old or so when he when he joined the merchant navy, right? Now, do you know I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to explode some myths here. Okay. Because I've actually got a copy of um well to call it a diary is it, it's just loose sheets of paper that, that we discovered. You know, after Stan died, we sort of went through a lot of his papers. And um, this was one. And the earliest letter I can find is when he went to sea on a steamer. Um, and it was the, uh, it belonged to the Commonwealth and Dominion line that, that I think later became known as the Port Line. And um, he, that was in 1924. Okay. So if my maths is correct, he would have actually been 17. Because okay. I, I, I think I think actually what happened was that that he 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 sort of he'd got he'd gone to school all over the place because his his father had been moved around Britain with the Coast Guard service. He spent a lot of his uh, time in school. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, so so he, he he left school. I think he caught Spanish flu because he was quite ill, and so he. I mean, I think the school leaving age at the time was fourteen, and he he left. At 13 and a half. Um, and apparently the, the headmaster came knocking on the door asking when he was going to come back. And he was shouting downstairs to his mother, tell him I'm not coming, tell, tell him I'm not coming back, tell him I'm not coming back. And and, and he didn't. Um, 
and that was like the end of his sort of formal education. But he went to work for his uncle, who incidentally had been a ship's carpenter. So there was a lot of, on both sides of the family, there was quite a lot of, you know, nautical influence. And, um, and presumably he must, stay, he must have stayed there for quite a while, because in the first letter home, he actually states, um, this is far better than the rotten trades. And the trades being this building trade, presumably, that he, he'd, he'd been with his uncle in. So I think, yeah, he, he was yeah about 17. And that was a voyage from Birkenhead or Liverpool to um, uh, Philadelphia, and then down into the Gulf of Mexico, and then through the Panama Canal to New Zealand. And that now, was, is this the trip where he was shipwrecked in New Zealand? Is that and he was shipwrecked. That, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> yes, a little further, a few many, few pages on, you know, he says, uh, you can't guess what happened. We've been shipwrecked. <laughs> and um, anyway, I think they were, they came home. They were as distressed British seamen or something like that. And um, he went out again um, fairly soon afterwards in another steamer um from the uh from the port line and then uh then he went to a i think he 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 went to to a maori park they went they went up country to avoid the police because even in those days it was illegal you know to jump ship they had, they had to climb the dock gates in wellington and it, him and a guy called jock um and i think they both um after being with the maoris for some time they uh, went to a farm, uh, to a sheep station, I should say, and um, the, the 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 farmer he he was he was quite amazed how a lot of runaway sailors had ended up at that farm, and he said they were all really good on horseback, so maybe something to do with the balance, you know, <laughs> or whatever, and and Stan ended up working, you know, two sheep dogs from a horse with a you know with a whip none of these two hands on the reins things you know one hand on the rein one hand you know with the whip and um you know rounding up sheep on a on a sheep station and i think he, he had to he had to go into a place uh gisborne he had to go down to gisborne to take some message to the post office or something and it was whilst he was there that he saw this and she must have been a very small schooner i think she was only about 57 foot um in length According to where's his book now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, out of Auckland, the book is where where, where they mention uh, the saucy Kate, and yeah, she's a pretty small schooner, and she was doing sort of coasting runs around um, New Zealand, and he made quite a few trips on her, and that was his first introduction to a sailing ship, and he yeah he used to tell this story that um, he was um, he he'd been asked if he could steer, and of course I could steer. You know, the, the arrogance of youth, you know, of course I could steer. But he had actually steered these these big port line steamers. But, you know, uh, steering a sailing ship, quite a bit of a different thing. Because he, So he went to the wheel and the mate said something like, um, by the wind. And Stan sort of thought, yeah, repeat the command, by the wind. And he was thinking, well, where the hell's the wind, you know? What, what the hell am I meant to do? <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. And um, he put he put the ship aback. And all the sails on the, you know, all the four and a half sails began to sort of shake. And there was a guy up aloft with, I suppose, these days, the amusing name of Big Mac. And um, 
he was nearly knocked from aloft. So he came down quick as he could, just went straight over to stand, smacked him straight into the scuppers. And he said, ever since then, I learned to steer by the wind. <laughs> so that was his first experience on a, on a sailing ship. And now, would that have been when he first encountered shanties as well, do you think? Well, he always said that they that shanties were never really sung on fore and afters. So I would possibly doubt it. Um, but I think, well, not on board ship anyway, but when he was... Um, he met a lot of people, you know, in the various dives in, in the sailor towns of Auckland and Gisborne or whatever. Um, and um, he met a certain guy called Paddy Griffiths, who, who was the guy who gave him um, his version of rolling down through a Maui. And, and it's strange that, you know, that was one of the first ones that he must have come across. Uh, well, apart from all the stuff that he'd learned from his father and grandfather as well, because there was a certain you know, amount of knowledge there too. But um, yeah, he, uh, so yeah, rolling down to O'Malley. And I don't think he ever put it in print, um, not until Song, Songs of the Sea, um, I think it's uh, McGraw Hill. And he, 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 he put it in that particular book. And, um, but I don't think he ever performed it until about the 19, early 1970s. I think he, he said that, uh, well, the story he told was he had a, you know, I live in, in a, a town called Shrewsbury in, um, in County Shropshire. And Shrewsbury back in those days always had a very thriving folk club. And I suppose it was the nearest folk club to Aberdovey, although it was right across Wales. Um, on the borders and um so he always had quite an affinity with the shrewsbury folk club and there are still people now uh, that i talk to some you know the, old, the older guys um who still understand from those days and i think they were coming back from a folk festival it was, it was the national folk festival at, at loughborough and um they, you know shrewsbury folk club in its entirety with stan and they were coming back, and he, that's when he first sang that version of "Old Rolling Down to Old Maui." So that was quite a time from when he actually learned it to <laughs> to actually giving it a, a public airing. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, so I'm curious if if so, Stan had some introduction to to the shanty tradition, sort of in the midst of of the the larger sort of nautical music uh, from from being a, a young man at home. Um, and then you're saying there's also picking up some songs from these sailors in, in these sailor towns in places like New Zealand. Um, yeah. I know I know in the shanties from the seven seas, he, he talks at length about the sort of Afro-Caribbean songs and sort of the... Well, that, comes, that comes a lot later. Okay. So what's well, the... Well, I say a lot later, it, you know, in years, probably not that long, but uh, yeah, um, you know, he, 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 he'd done sort of several things, been on several um, ships, uh, including going to... Um, I th I, I, he, he actually from New Zealand. He went to Australia, okay, and th and then walked um, places like the Ninety Mile Desert um, near not Port Melbourne. What was the other place? Port Adelaide. Yeah, he he, he was uh, he went on a bit of a, a survival thing, really, because you know, I mean, ninety miles doesn't sound a lot, but um, I think in a desert that's probably quite quite a way. And somebody did. He, 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 somebody in a car drove past, and I don't know why he didn't pick him up, or perhaps he was going in the opposite direction, but he gave him some water that was actually 
only really fit to go in the radiator of the car. <laughs> it tasted awful, but it kept him going there, uh, which is why he was always um, a bit disdainful of, um, uh, you know, survival programmes, like in the Outward Bound and things like that, when they had to, you know, go up into the mountains for a couple of days. <laughs> he said, well, yeah, not quite the survival things that he had to go through. And, you know, being on the sailing ship, I mean, what, what a survival skill that was, gosh, you know. Um, you know, going around Cape Horn. But, uh, yes, so anyway, he, he, he sailed on various vessels um, out, of, um, out of Australia. And, um, and incidentally, although the Garth Pool was, you know, where he sort of finally got that, uh, that title, that shantyman, I think, came from his, his days on the Garth Pool. But he had tried to join her several years earlier in Port Adelaide, but she'd had a complete complement of crew. And remember, that we're talking about a time sort of, you know, in the late 20s, when, you know, it's a great depression. You know, that, that, that you know, seamen were looking for jobs. Um, you know, I think, you know, it was pretty hard to get a job on a steamer, probably slightly easier on a sailing ship because there weren't so many people willing to do that or had the skills, you know, to do that. But, um, yeah, um, and he decided, he was with a whole group of them when they were hanging around in Port Adelaide, and um, he decided he would do better if he went on his own. So he stowed away on a cattle ship, um, all amongst all the crap and the, you know, <laughs> of the cattle down below. And, um, and she, she was bound for Melbourne. And um, anyway, so, so he managed to get out. I don't know how, <laughs> how he got through all the authorities. But um, there he joined a vessel called the Gustav, which was owned by a guy called um, Herman Engels at the time of Germany. And... Um, and it, in fact, it was quite interesting because it was that that was then due to be its last voyage under the German flag. Because um, after that voyage, she was bought by um, I'm sure you've heard his name, Gustav Eriksson um, of Finland, who who ran the last sort of large sailing ship uh, fleet in the world, really. And um, and he changed the name to the Melbourne. Uh, but yeah, Stan Stan sort of uh, went around Cape Horn, so he he sailed from. Um, I don't know if it's Geelong or Geelong. Uh, she was towed down from Melbourne anyway, so there was a full cargo of wheat. And um, oh, that's right. They they, they all um, <laughs> they all complained about the uh, the porridge being sour. So so the captain had a bit of a rebellion on his hands, and you know Stan had probably only been on the ship for a few hours. And um, anyway, they were all logged. The whole crew had been logged. Uh, Anyway, but uh, they obviously got over that, and she was towed down to Geelong, and then sailed, sailed um, for the Horn, east about for the Horn. And I think when he was down there, he uh, in those high latitudes, uh, she she was quite iced up, and he was going over the the foot of shrouds, and he put his knee over onto the top, which was really icy. The ship lurched. And he found himself holding by one hand, hanging over the sea as she went over. And he thought, God, you know, that must have been you know, a pretty frightening experience. Luckily, she lurched back again, took him back into the into the top, and he managed to get himself. And I think that was possibly the, the nearest he'd come to, um, to to meeting his maker, really, on that particular occasion. So, okay, yeah. this is an action-packed story. He's, he's what age at, at, at this point? 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Anyway, they, they they I know he was singing shanties then because um, he mentions in shanties from the seven seas. Uh, I think uh, the shanty rolling home. He says that the the German shanty man sang it in German. Uh, well, in Plattdeutsch, in in low German. Um, and uh, as you would be singing, rolling home to dear old Hamburg, you know, sort of thing. And then Stan would be singing alternate verses in, in English. And they sang that as she was being warped in on her own uh, capstans into the, I think it was the Queen's Dock in Belfast. Um, so, so I know he was definitely singing chanties then. Uh, and, um, and then, of course, you know, when he joined the uh, the Garth pool, um, although she had a crew of pretty much green hands, really, a lot of people at that time were just joining sailing ships just to make one voyage, um, just for the experience of it. Um, and there was a there was a major, an army major on board who was obviously doing it just for the, he was just like supercargo, just doing it for the, for the fun of it, really. And um, but luckily the captain. The master of the vessel, um, Captain Thompson, uh, was a very enthousi- enthusiastic shanty singer himself. And um, and so he managed to encourage all these greenhorns who probably never even heard a shanty to actually sing these songs. And that's where, where Stan sort of sang, you know, well, it became, you know, if you've got a, a master of a vessel who is, you know, into singing shanties, then... You know that's that's pretty good, isn't it? Really, because <laughs> interestingly, into the thirties, you know, I mentioned Gustav Eriksson. I think um, uh, Basil Greenhill, the the um, uh, maritime historian, says that shanties were never sung really um, on on those Finnish on the last of those Finnish um, four masted barks, um, and I think that's also borne out in Eric Newby's. Um, book as well, but yeah, they, they didn't send, tend to sing shanties um, there, which is why I figure he must have had given that that title of the last shanty man, which was given him by, I think it was one of the the newspapers who, who wrote about the wreck of the Darth Pool. Yeah, I, I still have the house flag of the Marine Navigation Company, a little moth bitten, but um, it's still there. We have a belaying pin that he managed to swipe. He was very good at doing that sort of thing. And uh, a boat's compass, which has since had a little brass plaque put on it saying that it was from the Darth Pool and, um, and you know, where and when it was, where and when it was uh, wrecked. So I've got sort of a, a bunch of different questions that are running through my mind right now. Oh. Um, but I was wondering, um, now you're mentioning the last, line of sailboats were really it was run by a, a Finnish owner yeah just about that, yeah okay and I, I recall reading in the shanties from the seven seas Dan talks about a few sort of cultural groups so one of which he's saying is um well going back to the hitches I believe he says something to the extent that it was something that the the black sailors could could do incredibly well and that you know everyone else tried to imitate it and and no one really no one really came that that close came to that it. close to it no that's right yeah and then secondly, you were saying of, of, of the, the white sailors that the Finn that the uh, the Scandinavians were the best singers. Um, oh, okay. 
And yeah. another one they says is that a lot of a lot of these songs were sort of um, maybe not documented, but were sort of um, carried on by the the Irish sort of uh, sailing johns out of Liverpool and, and New York. So mm. to me, the, the sort of three interesting sort of cultural groups. And you're mentioning the the German singers too as well. Yeah, 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 and, and of course that that that's always carried on sort of into recent times. We, and the, the, their sort of thing uh, as a revival seems to be these shanty choirs, right? Which uh, you know was well certainly was quite a big, a big thing uh, in Germany, and yeah, I, I think probably even um, in the Netherlands as well. Yeah, but but Stan sort of picked up those um, uh, Afro Caribbean um, shanties from you know from, you've mentioned Harding and Tobago Smith how. Harry Lauder um, in inverted commas, and um, yeah, that 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 was that, that was then going into the thirties um, after he'd made a couple of voyages out from from Britain, uh, which turned out to be like delivery passages um, of of two of two vessels, one in nineteen thirty and one in nineteen thirty three. The first one I think he went out was, was the Goldfinch. And he described her as a decrepit wooden vessel, <laughs> and they had they had real problems with her, including almost losing their rudder. The the cap on the lower mast, the lower mast cap, um, snapped, and they had to repair that with wire <laughs> seizings. And God knows what it sounded. Yeah, it sounded all pretty rough, really. Yes. So when they they'd obviously made the voyage to it was to British Guiana, as it was then Guyana now and um, to Georgetown. And the idea was that these vessels were going to be used to carry sugar down from the plantations down the Essequibo, Demerara, and the Babise rivers, um, bringing the stuff down to the liners that would be bringing the sugar back to Europe, presumably, uh, which is why they were, they were sort of flat bottom vessels, which weren't ideal for an ocean voyage, really, but um, they, they made it. And um, and then of course you know the captain and the mate, the master and the mate would they they would be shipped back back home, whereas the rest of the crew, um, the four of them, you know, really had to make their own way. And I think that's so he went on the beach basically, um, and ended up in Trinidad, um, you know, just across the Boca there from from uh, Guyana, and um, he uh, they made a living by tattooing. He and his friend, because Stan still carried the tattoos up his arm that his friend had done. I think it was Bill Fuller, the name of his of his shipmate. Uh, he, he so Bill Fuller did all Stan's tattoos, and Stan did all his. But to to make a living, you know, because they were basically beach, beach bums. You know, they had you, you know they they were a, a pain in the backside to the police on the island because they didn't know what to do with them, and. Um, yeah, so they'd be tattooing people, and they found and they ran out of ink. And um, a local lad said that um, if you cut open the the stone of a mango, it had this sort of black fluid in it that made very good ink for um, for tattooing. So that's, I mean, God knows, God knows what sort of infections they must have caused on people. I really don't know. But um, uh, the chief of police called them in. Um, because he'd found that a lot of his officers had got bandaged arms, and apparently they they'd been tattooing these these policemen as well. Um, and then that, you know, it's, it's it's on those adventures on the islands where he he met people like 
uh, Harding to Vega and uh, and you know that they were yeah I mean you have got to remember he was still a pretty young bloke at the time he wouldn't have been in his thirties at this time and you know these these guys you know they were they were hard and seamen and but you know if, I, I would imagine they'd been really pleased to sort of pass on what they would you know that those songs that they were doing to this enthusiastic youngster you know. Um, and it's quite interesting because uh, as well as the loose pages I've got, of the, I've also got uh, a little notebook where he notes down all the shanties that he that he's learned and um, all the shanties that he wants to learn, tunes to play on the melodeon, um, which generally aren't even folk songs, they're just sort of popular tunes of the day. And... Um, and I, I suppose, in a way, that little book was the genesis of Shanties from the Seven Seas, you know, because that had all the the, the information in it. Um, now, I, I do I do want to jump to that as well, but before before we get to 1961 and, and I believe a broken ankle um, injury that, that caused the, the book to be uh, written in the first place, um, <clears throat> Stan was also a sailor in World War II, and he was he was in a a German prisoner of war camp, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Indeed, that, yeah, that's right. He was, um, uh, I think, in about 1934 or 35, um, he, 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 he switched from sail to steam. He joined, although it must be said, he had actually been in several vessels, motor vessels and steamships, Prior to that, the biggest one being the Holbein of the Lamport and Holt line. And he, he went on that between the Gustav and the Garthpool, going out to um, to Buenos Aires, uh, which is where he had his adventures with, you know, gauchos and, again, you know, uh, a very, you know, very interesting time, it must have been, really. Yeah, he joins the steamships. Um, I think his first steamship was the Hellenus. Um, and I think that was a bit about 1934, 35. And that, she was a blue funnel liner. And of course, this connection with the blue funnel goes, then takes him right up to more sort of recent times because, well, I say, I say recent, I mean the 1960s or the 1950s. And um, he um, he was on a, a blue funnel, a blue funnel in 1941. And um, he, uh, the, they, he was on a ship called the Automedon. They were they, they must have been just off the northern point of um, Sumatra. In, is, it, is it called the uh, yeah the Sunda Strait? Um, anyway, and they were spotted by this radar. So anyway, cut a long story short, they were they were sunk, and um, uh, they landed in Bordeaux. Took, were taken up to the the prisoner of war camp just outside of Bremen, where he spent the, the rest of the war, really. And by all accounts, not in a very good shape. Well, I don't think so as any of them were um, by the end of the war. Um, I mean, they, 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 they were fed decently, but, you know, yeah, it must have been a hard time, you know, a very anxious time for people, not knowing what, whatever was going to happen to them. Anyway, they, they, they were eventually freed and came back. And immediately they 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 put them they took them to hospital to sort of see how they were getting on. And um, he 
he had got this sort of flair for languages. And whilst he was out east with the Blue Funnel Line, going out to Japan and places like that, he was also, yeah, because he was in, um, in Shanghai at the time of this, the, the Japanese Sino Sino Japanese War. And um, I, I, there's documents that I've got saying about the curfews that had been put in for the sailors on the, on the ships that had come in uh, to Shanghai to warn them, you know, that the, the Japanese had put the curfews in place. And um, so, so, yeah, that's quite, that's quite an interesting sort of document. But anyway, say so that they, um, he, he, he'd learned Japanese and uh, they, I think the Blue Funnel Line put him through university just after the war um, to the um, to learn to you know hone up his Japanese, and that was at, uh, in London at the uh, School of Oriental and African Studies, or SOAS as it's known now, and um, and well, that that was basically a diploma course that he was on. It was a two year course. But when he came out, um, he was uh, he was approached by some of the big wigs in the Blue Funnel Line because, of course, he wanted to go back. He wanted to you know to find a ship to go back on. But I think you know they, I think they must have thought that quite a lot of these sailors were sort of damaged goods in a way, really, having spent this time in the prisoner war camp. So um, they said, well, look, there's there's this new venture. Well, it wasn't that new because I think it started in, in forty two. Um, the Outward Bound in Abu Dhabi, which was the first Outward Bound school to to be opened, and they um, and then he so he went he went there and and I think Kurt Hahn of Gordonston School and um, and Lawrence Holt, who had actually who was the uh, I didn't imagine director of the Blue Funnel Line, uh, they actually you know formed formed that, and I think. Um, Kurt Hahn and another chap called Hilary Tunstall Burns were the ones when Stan was laid up with his broken foot. They're the ones who, who gave him the proverbial kick up the arse to actually, you know, you need to put all this stuff down on paper, which is when he wrote the book. Because he had been having shanty nights during with the lads at the Outward Bound, you know, during the 50s. And Hilary would accompany him on the fiddle. And... Um, yeah, so that's that, that's how the book was basically started. But but as I say, you know, all the knowledge had come from you know quite a few years, quite a few years before. I mean, he obviously did do a lot of research into you know uh, stuff. He had a lot of correspondence, and uh, I think that was quite an interesting story. That um, he met this um, this guy, uh, a German chap called Reiner von, because inter interestingly, Stan had no animosity towards Germans whatsoever. And in fact, even went over um, in, what would it be, about 1950, to train the boys on the Pamir and the Passat, the two German foremasters barks. Um, quite a few who had been Hitler youth during the war. No animosity whatsoever. And uh, anyway, so... Yeah, old Reiner von Barzovich, um, he, wrote, he wrote to him and said, you know, did he know of any people who might be knowledgeable on, you know, German chanties, um, you know, in researching the, the book? And he said, he said, well, yeah, I do know someone, actually, and he's an admiral in the German Navy. And Stan said, oh, that would be really good. Uh, what's his name? And it turned out that it was the... Uh, 
the captain of the raider that had actually sunk him during the war. <laughs> so I thought that was, that was quite amusing. So he wrote, he, he, he wrote a letter and said, you know, uh, I, th I think you owe me one. <laughs> and he did. He, he actually sent him, you know, a load of German counties back. Well, one of the things that really strikes me is that Stan was uh, truly a renaissance man. He was, uh, you know, even though he left school at an early age, uh, we've talked about how he was a polyglot. He could pick up languages anywhere. Um, I know for a fact he was quite well published from uh, the Boson's Locker, which is from <laughs> oh, yes. the Spinner's uh, magazine. Um, I found uh, this one. Oh, here. you've got that. Oh, yeah, that's the, uh, is that the Jenkins copy of it? Yeah. From, yeah. I'm not too sure. Then I found the... Uh, Shanties and Sailor songs, of course. Right. Well, well, those two are the same book, aren't they? Are they? This one, the little... I, 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 I think they are. I, I think one was published by Herbert Jenkins and one was published in America. Oh. Yeah, you're right. This is the Herbert Jenkins one. Yeah. And I, uh, I managed to pick up uh, Sailor Town. <laughs> Which seems to have a much better copy uh, cover on uh, on your copy. Is that right? <laughs> yes. And then, of course, the one you show there, the songs of the seas. Ah, uh, right. So you're you're familiar with all of these ones. And I, and I even went so far as to get the uh, the German language Windjammer Lieber. Yeah. Which which seems to be the German version of of songs of the sea. Um, yeah. And my my prized possession here. This was something that was gifted to us in Mystic a few years ago. And it's an earlier copy of Shanties from the Seven Seas um, with, with the autograph in there from 1980. So that's, that's oh, good. fantastic. <laughs> um, but one story, just before we, we move on um, to the, the inception of Shanties from the Seven Seas, one story that we heard in, I believe it was in Mystic, um, that there was a National Geographic uh, documentary done about one of the German prisoner of war camps, and they found this, this big painting. And they were sort of confused, where did this painting come from? And it, it was a backdrop, apparently, for a prisoner's production of the Pirates of Penzance. And the story is that Stan would have painted this backdrop. And apparently in the camp, what was happening is if the prisoners were too weak, you know, they'd uh, eventually sort of get executed by the prison guards. And so the Stan had made sure that even the most sort of feeble prisoners had a, a small role to play in the production just to show that they were that they were well enough um yeah. is this something you've heard of I, and i guess what i'm alluding to is the fact that he's a great painter as well but i was curious if you could sort of comment on do, on, do, do you know, on, on that particular one i'd have to say you have the better with me on that one okay. but he was an amazing painter as well and and uh i just find that remarkable you know especially given he had left school or, or maybe because he had left school at such a young age he's very very creative very creative type yeah um I, I, apparently, one of the stories he used to tell was that, that, that when he was in school, they they had so he'd shown quite an early flair for um, for uh, you know drawing and painting, and um, they, they, I think as a class they were asked to draw a post box, and you know all these kids did these classic British post boxes as they were then, and when it, when Stan did his, he did the post box the street houses in perspective going down, you know, going away and uh, so yeah that that was um that was something yeah he, he had obviously you know from an early age and um yeah it, it, I mean, he, he he did a lot of paintings of sailing ships um you, you know Abedov was uh you know it's, it's quite a a visitor 
sort of a lot of people, you know, visit Abu Dhabi. They'd heard that he was, you know, that he was a bit of a character in Abu Dhabi, and they'd say, "Oh, you know, would you do us a painting?" And you know, when when I think about, he was selling them for a song, really, um, and yeah, they must have been rubbing their hands with glee, really. But um, he, you know, I mean, he he. Whenever I came to visit, because at this time I was actually living, I don't know, North Wales, Mid Wales, or in Shrewsbury. I would come home on a fairly regular basis and there would always be a painting on the easel in the corner of the room. Now, you, you've got to imagine that, you know, 34 Copper Hill Street is not a big house. You know, it's just basically a living room, a kitchen, bathroom, all on level, two bedrooms upstairs and that's it. Um, and he used to paint in this corner. But, you know, he managed to, you know, paint some really nice sort of seascapes, really. Um, he, he did have his artistic temperamental moments, it must be said. Um, I, I think I think we, we, we told this story the last time we were in Mystic over in, um, uh, in 2019, which was, that was actually the last Mystic festival, I, 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 I think, yeah. Yeah. And and sadly, probably the last that will be. Um, and um, anyway, so we, we were meant to be having a chat about Stan on stage. I don't know how interesting it was to the audience, but anyway, there we go. And that one of the stories uh, I think my brother told was uh, when he actually got um, he, he painted he painted this picture of a ship. And despite what I said earlier about what, with the post box and all that, the perspective on this was like altershires. It was really, it really wasn't very good. And he'd obviously asked uh, my mum, who said, no, I don't really like that. And then me and Phil came home uh, on holidays or something, and um, he asked us about it and he said, oh, no, we don't like that. And he had this like fit of peak. <laughs> And he just squirted a load of oil paints on the palette and just like, across it. And, and completely, you know, covered the canvas just in this one colour. When it had dried, he painted another painting over it and it was probably one of the best ones he'd ever done. <laughs> and it was, yeah, so he, he, he did, um, yeah, he did have that artistic temperament. <laughs> um, maybe this might be a good... Time to talk about the is it the um the sailing school uh, Martin I'm not sure and oh the outward band and, yeah and how Stan so Stan broke his ankle I, I believe he was he was leaping up from behind bushes I've heard some kind of story like that <gasps> yeah yeah uh, no, yeah it wasn't quite that like that but um it, he he was uh, there there's like a low stone wall uh, that used to bound the old coal yard from the, from the road and the the, the schools on the other side. And he thought he was still a youngster and sort of tried to leap over it and it all went wrong <laughs> and he broke his foot. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was laid up for six weeks or so on that particular occasion. And that's when he uh, thought, yeah, great opportunity. So he started writing it. Uh, it's funny because as a very young child, um, I, saw, I suppose that would have been about like maybe about 59, 60, something like that. Um, so I would have been very young, but I can remember him. Uh, he used to sit at this chair right by the window and had one of these sort of fold, you know, fold down tables with the legs that sort of dropped down. And, and he'd be doing these sort of um, pen and ink drawings that, that you can now you know, find in Chanty's from the Seven Seas. And I can remember when he was sort of um, 
I remember he did the map of the world with the um, the mermaid on it, or whatever. I was always, I was always fascinated by mermaids. You know, uh, you know when that film came out, it was oh, fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, oh, he used to, he used to actually do um, drawings and and ink pen and ink drawings of mermaids for me actually. Um, and yeah, very good they were too. Uh, but he 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 tried his hand actually drawing and painting anything because um, I've always loved um, railways and steam locomotives and whatever. And he would even, you know, do, uh, you know, uh, the Wild West type of steam locos with the big smokestack, the balloon smokestacks on them and things like that, the cow catchers. And, yeah, they were very good representations considering he didn't really know much about steam engines. <laughs> but, yeah, he could turn his hand to many things. So he was um, drawing these from, from the top of his head then? He wasn't looking at an image? No, no, no. He, he would just do them from, from scratch. But, like, he, he would... You know, when he was singing in the folk clubs, he would often ask for a blackboard. And and whilst he was talking, he would just do a map of the world. Just like that. And, yeah, that, that, that was a certain sort of skill, really. Um, yeah, yeah, really, just, you know, just to illustrate where the, the sailor towns of the world were and things like that. You know? So he was doing um, these illustrations at the same time that he was jotting down the lyrics to the, the shanties of the seven. Notes and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then at one point, your, your uncle came in to help him sort of notate the melodies. Is that correct? <clears throat> no, I, I think that that's we still had a house in Liverpool at that time. Um, and uh, dad would, well, would go up as a family. And, I, um, and dad would, um, uh, you, you know, spend time with, with Harold then. And I think that's when, you know, because, you know, there wasn't any correspondence, you know, that sort of correspondence. It had been quite difficult to do. You had to have been there. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, so that was all done, you know, when we went on on holiday. Well, it was a holiday for us anyway, but I'm not so sure we were a holiday for Stan. But um, yeah, and of course, you know, that, that we, we sold the house when Harold died, and um, and that that was the end of our Liverpool adventures. But yeah. Um, so you know, when you think about what your dad was trying to achieve in writing the book, what do you think like the most important things he would want people who are just learning about shanties to, to know that they might miss uh, if they weren't, you know, if they weren't paying attention? Their origins? You know, he, he, he was a bit of a... Yeah, he, he was a bit of a stickler for... for origins of things um and you know would would always you know say to audiences where he got things from or, or certainly you know back in the day um and uh you know he he thought that was actually quite important and that was something you know that he he, he sort of instilled into us um when although we weren't necessarily singing chanters but um singing folk songs um you know, he always said, you know, when you're introducing a song, it, it, it's, you know, it's quite important to, to actually say where it came from. You know, that, 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 so you have, you know, like that overall knowledge of, of the song. And perhaps you can, your singing might be influenced by the knowledge that you have of it. Now we spoke with a, a few people, uh, most recently Heather Wood, and she's talking about growing up uh, post-war post in Britain 
and there's a show by uh, William Appleby called Singing Together. And one of the types of songs that they would include in this program were, were sea shanties and other folk songs. And it occurs to me now, uh, the first edition of Shanties from the Seven Seas would have been published in 1961. That coincides pretty nicely with sort of the folk revival of the, the 1960s with some of those seeds sort of being planted on, on BBC Radio too. How did, uh, how did that sort of line up for Stan? And was, was that something that was unexpected? Was it something that, you know, he enjoyed? sharing his knowledge with a broader folk community or how did that work out well I, th I think he was actually doing things for the bbc um yeah before uh Shanties from the seven seas Pre previous to that i think um you know the, the main exponents of shanties in, in britain at least um were people like um bert lloyd and um Ewan mccall and you know, you and McCall had had a, a band, uh, the, the the critics group, and you, you know um, they did a couple of albums that were you know, purely of 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 shanties. Um, uh, yeah, I'm 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 not quite sure how 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 well um, Bert Lloyd and my dad actually got on <laughs> because they were they, they were sort of treading on each other's ground. Really, I suppose you, you know. Uh, you know, Bert Lloyd had, had had that field, you know, to himself, and you know, this upstart came along who, you know, seemingly had a lot more experience, um, you know, as a shanty man. Um, but yeah, he—I mean, I don't know whether you'd, you'd include this at all, but he, he, my dad always reckoned that that Bert Lloyd, no, he, he would always acknowledge him in print, always. You know, with the estimable standard, the knowledgeable standard, and things like that. But if they ever sort of cross paths at a festival, very little would ever be said until my dad brought my mum to the folk festival, this particular folk festival. And then suddenly, <laughs> Bert Lloyd seemed to be very interested in my dad. <laughs> because what you've got to remember is my mum was a fair bit younger than my father. Fact, I, I do. I think I read that somewhere that when when your your dad met your mom, Stan was older than her dad. Is that correct? By a year. By a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My 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 maternal grandfather was born in nineteen oh seven. Okay. And nineteen oh six. And your mother's Welsh. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so you and oh, Stefan yeah. have a connection there. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I might not sound it. Uh, but yeah, because being brought up in Abu Dhabi, it was quite an anglicised place. What with the visitors, and you know, people even back then were buying houses in Abu Dhabi, and you know, there was a, a lot of English people who lived there. Whereas you'd only need to go sort of ten miles inland or slightly north to get into the hinterland, when Welsh, where Welsh was spoken all the time. I did, I did learn Welsh in school as a non-Welsh speaker. You had you had the Welsh speaking Welsh, and then you had the non-speaking uh, non Welsh. And I, I did do um, up to as we called it in those days, O levels uh, at sixteen. So I did. I'd... We've 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 talked as uh, about you know Stan as uh, a sailor, as uh, a singer, as a painter, as a performer, and as a scholar. But what was he like as a dad? Oh, geez. <laughs> now there's a question. Um, yeah, he, he, he was, um, 
he 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 was a very good dad. Um, he, he you know, it must be said, we, you know, we never had a lot in the way of money. Um, the outward bound was not a big payer, and I don't think it's a big payer even today. I don't think anybody becomes an instructor in the outward bound for the money. <laughs> really, really not. Um, but you know, he did have these other sidelines. Uh, I, I meant, you know, I meant you was mentioned about about languages. Um, you know, he, he he would do this sort of um, this sort of translating, so that that helped help bring money into the coppers. So when when we were old enough to um, you know learn instruments and things, he would have absolutely no no compulsion in actually buying us instruments. Like he, he bought my brother a bass guitar, he bought me a drum kit. Um, and uh, I, I already had the mandolin from my from my uncle. Um, bought us a couple of guitars, and you, you know, um, I don't I, I don't know whether you can see just behind me. There's like a lute a lute type of thing behind the lute guitar. No, that's a schooner. <laughs> no, that's with the sky. Oh, very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you recognise what sort of schooner it is? By the way, I feel like I might. <laughs> Go on then. I'd have to say it's not a good representation, but it is a representation. I mean, it looks like it looks like a. Well, from our perspective, I feel yeah. like I have to say it looks like a blue nose type. That's exactly it. And you yeah. might know, you probably don't even notice there, but there's a little sort of red flag flying from the main peak. I can that's, barely make it out. Yeah, that's the Canadian flag. All right, that's the uh, the the pre nineteen was it fifty nine one where it had where it was had the the green maple leaf on the bottom of the shield because I think oh. it was changed to a red maple leaf until nineteen sixty five and then you had yeah then it changed to the horrible flag. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, as, a real, as a child, I, I I was into all things Canadian. Canadian, the Canadian Pacific Railway, Canadian Pacific, you know, steamers, the uh, mount. I wanted to be a Mountie, you know. I I, I actually had a, a Mountie uniform, you know? and so so Canada was. I, I don't know why. I don't, I can't even explain why that was. But Canada was had a great fascination for me, and so I. I it was a great disappointment when they changed the flag. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I must have been a very strange child. <laughs> On behalf of all Canadians, I just want to say sorry for that. So <laughs> it's yeah. the only flag we remember, though. We, we, I'm, we, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I am, as they say in Birmingham, considerably older than Yao. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupted. You were talking about your loot. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I was just saying, just saying that 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 was probably the last instrument that my dad bought for me, um, and uh, yeah. So and, and then you know I, I I got a job. I started and I could buy my own instruments then. But um, yeah, that was uh, yeah. So that was probably the last one that he uh, that really bought for us. But it was yeah. He he never stinted in in, that, in from that respect. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that. <laughs> Encouragement in music. Um, I, I'm not sure how much he encouraged us to play, but certainly he he encouraged us in the, in the fact that he actually bought us instruments, you know, to play. Because you know, I was a drummer in a rock band in school. My brother was a bass player in that same rock band, and um, 
And, you know, one of the songs that, that, that we actually sang, going back to um, the earlier days, was um, was a song called Whip Jamboree. Yeah. And it, that, that, that really came from um, Stan's um, friendship with the group The Spinners. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we got to know them all, especially Tony Davis, got to know very, very well. And, um, and we had, you know, the Spinner's Songbook. And, and that almost became a bit of a Bible for us, uh, as well as doing the rock stuff, also doing the, the folk stuff. So songs like Marco Polo that um, Huey Jones had written, um, uh, The Champion of the Seas, I think was another one that he'd um, basically uh, changed around the Spinner's. And so, um, A lot of those sort of songs were, were coming into our repertoire even sort of back then, really. Now, that means think that the, the, I think there is a connection here. I know Stan often talked about the importance of Liverpool for, for sea shanties, mm. uh, being sort of the spiritual home of the shanty, but also all these sailors coming from uh, all, around, all around the world, but especially it's that melting pot. Yeah, exactly, a melting pot. Yeah, um, especially that connection with New York and Liverpool, the regular shipments coming in. And I remember hearing uh, one of the reasons why Skiffle took off in Britain in the 60s or so. It was uh, these sailors going to yard sales in, in the States. And oh, who wants these, you know, 20 year old sort of country and Western 45s or, or, or uh, you know, 78s. So they, you know, they could they could buy them really cheap in the States and sell them mm -hmm. off in Liverpool as a sort of novelty record that no one's heard of. And yeah. so all that sort of recycled old junk from the States was finding a new audience in Liverpool. And when you listen to the early Beatles, you know, they record a version of Maggie May. And then I think on their very last album, they record another version of Maggie May, which is sort of, you know, a nod to their early skiffle days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But that was, you know, before the internet, before radio was playing any of this stuff, Liverpool was a unique place in that it was acquiring music from, from distant parts of the world. Well, yes. I mean, it had, I believe, one of the, the, the old, or has, one of the oldest Chinese communities. Yeah, um, I heard the first Chinatown. And, and yeah, the, yeah, I think so, the first, first sort of black community, or sizable black community in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Well, well I, I think the, the other city could make claim to, to an early black community, obviously, would be Cardiff. Oh, yeah. Car Cardiff's Tiger Bay um, had a very large um sort of black community within it yeah. um yeah but, but i mean yeah i mean they, they were they were international ports weren't they so i suppose that that sort of thing yeah it was was almost yeah bound to happen really and you know obviously you know i mean liverpool well yes it uh it imported a hell of a lot didn't it but it was uh and, and luckily you know I, I can actually remember uh because stan used to take us 
you know, where most people will go into nice places on holiday, Stan, Stan would be taking us down the docks in Liverpool, you know. And, um, <laughs> um, I remember seeing a Canadian, uh, Canadian Pacific liner. I think it was either the Empress of Canada or the Empress of Britain with, with that checkered um, insignia on, on, on the buff coloured funnel and uh, all white hull and uh, down at the Gladstone docks. And that was one of my earliest memories of a big you know of a big liner um obviously sailing ships had gone you know uh you know many, many years before that incidentally my my dad came to canada on the empress of canada so yeah well fantastic isn't that brilliant <laughs> what a connection <laughs> martin would you would you sing us a, another chant what was stan's favorite shanty ah right okay <laughs> i'm i'm prepared <laughs> um we, we made mention of the um the afro-caribbean shanties that um, that Stan picked up in the early 30s. And um, I don't know uh, if you know this one. But, 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 well, it, he, he, I, I'm not quite sure whether it was hard. I think it was Harding that he picked it up from. Um, and it's called Way Down in Dixie. Not exactly what you'd call a tuneful shanty, um, but a hell of a hauling song. Real, you get some real pulls doing that. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll launch into it then, I think. So, so, way down in Dixie, oh, way down in Dixie, where the cotton grows, sing a song, flow along. Whoa, oh, way down in Dixie, oh, way down in Dixie, where I had a girl, sing a song, flow along. Whoa, oh, way down in Dixie, her name it was for Topsail Nell, sing a song, flow along. Whoa, Away down in Dixie, she had two black eyes and a broken nose. Sing a song, blow along. Oh, away down in Dixie, she was so dark she broke my heart. Sing a song, blow along. Oh, away down in Dixie, but across the world I had to sail. Sing a song, blow along. Oh, away down in Dixie, but I'm as tough as a six-inch nail. Sing a song, blow along. Oh, way down in Dixie, well across the world I had to sail, sing a song, blow along. Oh, way down in Dixie, but I'm as touch of a six-inch nail, sing a song, blow along. Oh, way down in Dixie, when I got back she done me down, sing a song, blow along. Oh, way down in Dixie, she ran off with a circus clown, sing a song, blow along. Away oh, down in Dixie, well, if I could catch that thieving tyke, sing a song, go along. Whoa. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to say it's surreal to, to hear that because the, you sound so much like Stan in, in so many ways and in, in those pitches <laughs> and some of those sort of growls. It's amazing. <laughs> Great. Glad you enjoyed it. Well, thank oh, you so much, Martin. My goodness, I would love to keep chatting, but. Uh... These uh these other COVID free people have to run off to a shanty sing, which unfortunately I can't I can't make it through right now. So <laughs> I think I think we'll start the sing with uh with blow the man down. Just uh, oh, perfect go. way to start it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic talking to you guys. The pleasure is all ours, and uh, if it didn't come across like your your father is a legendary character to us, so. Uh, my goodness what a what a treat what a, what yeah a, and, and lovely to get to know you a little bit too uh oh, thank thanks you very for sharing much. The stories. yeah we've got to go uh 
Unfortunately, got to go sing some shanties at a brewery right now. Oh, that's that's real hard work. I right? know. Yeah, tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Isn't there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much, Martin. It was lovely to meet you. Lovely yeah. To see you too. Yeah. Thanks very Thanks, much. Dad. Thanks, Dan. Bye. All right. Well, I guess in closing, we wanted to really thank all the guests that we've had, all the people we've met. Uh, we have a lot of following up to do and that I think we we mentioned meeting with in person almost everybody with whom we spoke. So uh, we have uh, set ourselves up for years of, of some traveling and uh, experiencing this kind of thing in person. And hopefully we actually managed to pull some of that off. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and thanks to everybody who's been listening. Um, this has been our way of trying to make a contribution during a time where we can't get out in public and, and sing together. And, you know, hopefully that period of time is coming to a close. That's all hope. Uh, but uh, what a great thing it has ended up being that we have had these conversations that we otherwise never would have had. Even if we were with these people at a festival, we might've been in the same room with them, but not, not had the chance to sit together and, and have a conversation that goes for an hour or two. And uh, yeah, that's, it's been a, a really fine outcome, I'd say. So, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you everyone for listening and thanks for, uh, joining us all the guests and um let's start booking like two dozen plane tickets or whatever <laughs> good to see you <laughs> yeah. all, all right. right bye everyone thanks Tim. take care although times was hard and the wages low but now once more ashore we'll go and it's time for us to leave her leave her joy leave her oh leave her joy leave her all the praise is done and the winds don't blow and it's time for us to leave her oh the work was hard and the voyage was long. Hi, before we go, we'll sing this song, and it's time for us to leave her, leave her, John, leave her. Hungry bitch, the likes of she and the sign for us to leave her. Leave her, John, leave her. Oh, the rats have gone. We the crew, leave her, John, leave 
heard, oh, it's time by God that we went to, and it's time by God.